but welcome today. We'll get to bad blood here in just a moment. I got a question for you as we get started today. How many of you in here are claustrophobic? A few of you? Yeah, I can kind of go that direction sometimes. And, you know, if you're claustrophobic, you, you think about an elevator. And you got an elevator you got to get into, and maybe you got to go about 25 stories, and some other city, of course, but you got to go up 25 stories, and there's about 16 other people that get on the elevator with you. About that point in time, your hands start sweating, right? Because all you can think of is, what if this elevator stops? Where's the air going to come from? Are we going to have enough food in here? Does anybody have any water? Is there going to be any cell service? Is the phone that I'm supposed to use to call the fire department, is that going to help me get them? Are they going to get it? Something happened to it. And you're starting to sweat right now, and your heart's palpitating because you don't even want to think about that opportunity that may come this week, right, as you're traveling. Maybe for others of us in here, it's uh, the TV show, Tiny Homes. Yeah. You're like, how could anybody live in that itsy-bitsy, tiny space? And again, you think about that and you start sweating a little bit. Your heart starts beating a little bit funny. And if you're claustrophobic, you're never going spelunking. I mean, that's just never going to be an option for you at all. But, but what is it about claustrophobia that bothers us? It's that tight space, right? It's being in a very tight space and feeling like we're captured, feeling like we're in prison, feeling like we can't move. Well, today we do continue our series called Bad Blood, and if you weren't here last week, this series is all about relationships, and we're in the season of relationships. You're going to start spending a whole lot more time with people in your life that you have relationships with than you normally do. Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is on the horizon, even though we forget Thanksgiving after Halloween these days, but, um, but these, these times of the year, at this time of the year, we have all this interaction with these people who are our co-workers. And we have more interaction with people who are friends. We have more interaction with people that are our family members. And one of the things that can happen when we're in close proximity to so many people at this time of year is that bad blood can show up. That our relationships can struggle. Now, for some of us, that bad blood, it's been there for years. It's not something that's just boiling right now. It's been boiling for a long, long time. And for others of us, our relationships may be great and the family comes and everybody's wonderful. Then somebody says something or somebody does something and then that just explodes and, and that tension builds right there in that moment and that bad blood begins right there. And so in this series, we're talking about how do we deal with this bad blood? How do we deal with relationships that we struggle with, where they're, they're broken or shattered or, or maybe again, this tension is just beginning? Last week, as we started the series, we looked at Romans chapter 12. And in fact, we're going we're gonna to spend our time in Romans chapter 12 again today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, there's Bibles and seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. You can follow along on your Journey Church app and also on your program, and you can take notes. But one of the things that we find when it comes to relationships is that we can get stuck in them too, right? We can get to this place where we feel captured by it, imprisoned by it, and, and we can't get out of it. And what we're looking for is peace. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul, who writes this letter, he pins this letter to this church in Rome. He writes these words. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Last week, as we started the series, we talked about how when it comes to relationships where there's bad blood, our job is not to wait on that other person to come to us and say, hey, I need, to, I need you to fix this or we need to tell them to fix it. We have to own it. We have to be willing to say, hey, I'm going to own this relationship. Whether it's my fault or not, I'm going to own it. I'm going to do all I can to find peace. And so we talked about this idea of empathy 
and the importance of empathy. And how when it comes to empathy, it's not looking at something from just my directive or from my position. It's actually looking at it from all around. And especially where that person is, what's going on in their life? What's happening with them? What are they experiencing? Because that may help me understand where they're coming from and why there's this bad blood in this relationship we have. And so we talked about owning it. We talked about empathy. And we talked about finding peace. Now, last week I said we may not be able to find peace in the relationship. But one of the things that we can work on is finding peace about it. That we get to this point where we can look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm good. I've done everything I can. Or your small group said, hey, you've done everything you can. Or that counselor finally says, hey, you've done everything you can. There's not going to be peace in it, but there can be peace about it. And you're at that place. But we've got to work towards peace. And like we talked about last week, that's so hard. Because do we really want peace? Because I think there's something else that we would rather have instead of peace when there's bad blood in our relationships. And it's funny because Paul doesn't stop here in Romans chapter 12, 18 saying, live at peace with everyone and then he's done. Look at what he writes in verse 19. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends. Musicians love to write about revenge, right? Especially in a country music genre, like every song is about revenge. That's really what every song is about is revenge. I'm not a huge country music fan, but I did a little research this past week, and I ran across this one by Carrie Underwood. Some of you may know it. (laughs) She's had a rough relationship, right? Before He Cheats is the name of the song. Here's what it says. Oh, that I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Moral of the story, don't mess with Carrie Underwood, right? That's what revenge is when we think about it. When we can't find peace within our relationships, revenge is what we tend to go to. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked up the definition of revenge because I was working on this this week. I said, I want to see what revenge is. What, what does the dictionary, how does the dictionary actually define it? Here's how the dictionary defines revenge. It's the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. Revenge says, you hurt me. I I don't know how you you hurt me mentally, you you hurt me physically, you hurt me spiritually, emotionally. You hurt me, and here's the deal. I'm going to hurt you back. That's what revenge is. It's not like, hey, we're going to talk about it. Hey, we're going to go to counseling together. Hey, we're just going to let it go. No, revenge says, you hurt me, and so I am going to hurt you. So we read the lyrics to that song by Carrie Underwood. We're like, yep, that sounds like revenge. A physical manifestation of a response to what someone has done to us. That's what revenge is all about. You've harmed me, and now I am going to harm you. Here's what I find so interesting about what Paul writes here in chapter 12. He actually addresses this a little bit earlier. Scoop back to verse 17. Paul writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. What is revenge? Revenge. It's repaying evil for evil, right? That's what the definition definition says. Someone has hurt you. Someone has committed some evil towards you. And now you're doing the same thing towards them. Guess who wins then? Nobody. At that point, there's two people that are at fault. And I think this is why Confucius once said this. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. That totally makes sense. 
Because when it comes to revenge, at that point in time, two people are at fault, not just one. And so we might as well dig two graves. Revenge, as Paul talks about, sin, or, or revenge here, or hurting someone, it, it's evil. Or, or what we would better say is maybe this is sin. And Paul's like, don't let this overtake your life. Don't let this become a part of who you are. Stay away from revenge. And here's why he says that. If we actually go back to verse 19, it continues on. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's Paul. He's like, hey, here's the deal. Revenge, it's not your job. You want it to be your job. You think it's your job. It's not your job. It's God's job to deal with whatever evil, whatever hurt, whatever harm has come your way. I love the word that he uses here. God's wrath. Wrath, right? That's like this really deep meaning word in the church world. Uh, when I think about that word wrath, I think about growing up. Um, I've got two younger brothers, and um, they were always in trouble. I never got in trouble, but they were always in trouble all the time. I don't even know why. But uh, they would get in trouble, and, and mom would always say this famous phrase, and probably some of you have heard it a million times, wait until your dad gets home, Right? And at that point in time, I look at my brothers like, ooh, you're in trouble. Mom's going to tell dad. You're going to experience dad's wrath. Because we were preacher's kids, so we'd use preacher's words. Like, dad, you're... I really didn't ever say that, but that would have been kind of cool if we did. But anyway, you're, like, you're going to experience something when, you get up, when dad gets home. It's not going to be fun. And it's kind of like mom was saying, hey, here's the deal. I've tried everything. I've tried everything to bring peace within this home, to bring peace within you guys and the relationship you have. Here's what I'm going to do. I I'm done. There's no peace in the relationship, but there's peace about it because I feel good about what I'm getting ready to do. And I'm going to let your dad take care of it. Dad's going to bring the wrath when he comes home. And we would run and hide and try to get away as best we could because we were kind of afraid of dad's wrath. But that's sort of the idea, right? God takes care of the revenge. It's not up to you and it's not up to me to revenge what's happened to us. To revenge that harm and that hurt that we've experienced. Paul's like... Hey, let God take care of that. It's kind of hard there, right? Because revenge, man, it feels good. It feels real good. So what do we do when revenge is what we want and revenge is what we desire in those relationships where there's bad blood that's present? What step can we take? Well, it kind of goes back to last week when we were talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the world. And so revenge is actually reform, conforming to the world. Revenge is doing what everyone else does. As I said last week, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be different. I, I use the phrase, be weird, right? So we're called to be weird. So what does it look like for us not to conform to the world and not to seek out revenge when there's bad blood in these relationships? It's pretty simple. It's one word, forgive. Forgive. And some of you are like, last week was kind of hard. This week, I don't know if I can handle this one. Because revenge sounds so good, and maybe for some of us we think it feels real good, but, but I think what we're truly called to is forgiveness. And forgiveness is hard. Philip Yancey is a Christian author, and he wrote these words, forgiveness is an unnatural act. And when you think about forgiveness, forgiveness is absolutely an unnatural act. It doesn't come normally for us. It is, it is not something that, that we naturally do. It's hard for us to forgive. 
because I think it is such a foreign concept for us in so many ways. I also think it's possible that we, wire, we are wired for revenge. Uh, some people will say when humanity began, revenge was a part of how we put social norms into place and how laws kind of ended up being in place. But the revenge was a way that you could kind of control society. And so maybe it's a part of our DNA. I, I don't know. But that's not what we're called to. We're not called to revenge, right? No, we're called to forgive. And if you and I have relationships where there's no peace, and there's bad blood in that relationship, one of the best things that we can do and one of the hardest things we have to do, I truly believe, is to learn to forgive. What does that look like? Well, this morning, I'm going to give you three truths when it comes to forgiveness. And there may be more, but I think these are pretty, uh, pretty good truths about forgiveness. And hopefully it can help us take the next steps that we need to take when it comes to something like forgiveness. Here's truth number one. Forgiveness begins with sin. Every single time. You don't go up to somebody and say, hey, I forgive you. And they're like, what did I do? You didn't do anything. I just want to say I forgive you, right? There's usually an action or words or inaction. Something has happened where we have to get to this place of trying to decide, do I revenge or do I ask for or seek forgiveness in this situation, in this relationship? Forgiveness always begins with sin. Now, it may be something like your best friend's telling these rumors about you, about how you wear white after Labor Day, right? <laughs> it's not healthy. I mean, it's not a big deal, but really they shouldn't be talking about you that way. They should actually just come up and say, hey, you shouldn't be wearing white after Labor Day, if that's even a thing anymore. I don't think it is. But, um, but, but that's maybe a starting point. There's a sin that's happened there. Somebody is talking behind your back. They're gossiping. Or it could be your dad. He neglected you as a kid. Or your mom. She ran out. She left. You know, those things, when you think about that, there's sin that's all around that. There's sin that encompasses that. And for us to forgive, sin has had to take place at some point in time. With actions or words, reactions, experiences. A few years back at the church we were at before we came up here, um, I did a whole series on forgiveness and Part of this, I wanted to just kind of hear, who did people have a hard time forgiving and why? And so I, I went to social media, I went to Facebook, and I asked that question, and I told people, hey, private message me so I could hear what they were struggling with. And I just want to share some of these with you this morning, because my guess is it's probably not going to be a whole lot different than some of us in this room. Here's some of the responses I got. One person said, it was hard to forgive my ex-husband for all of his secret extramarital affairs. Sin. My grandmother, because she physically abused her kids. Sin. I have a hard time forgiving my ex-husband. One day, without any indication, he told me he wanted to separate and said he wasn't been, hasn't been feeling happy for a while. Turns out there was someone else. Sin. I'm having trouble forgiving a friend of my fiancé who said careless and hurtful things about him regarding our relationship, which I took personally. The hardest people for me to forgive are the ones who show no remorse. Sin. My dad, this is a close friend of ours, my dad for not being there during my childhood, for making me feel guilty for not keeping up the relationship and for not showing up for my wedding. Sin. Sin. Over and over and over and over again. Each person said this is how they struggle, why they struggle with forgiveness. It wasn't because somebody didn't do anything. It was because there was a sin there, some evil that was committed. And that is the place that forgiveness begins every single time. 
but we're stuck so many times in that area, right? We're stuck with that pain and that hurt, and we don't know what to do. And so revenge is usually the step we take, and yet forgiveness has to be the step that we actually take. But to get there, either way, it begins with sin. So that's the first truth here. Forgiveness begins with sin. Here's truth number two. Unforgiveness kills. Unforgiveness kills. As I just said, revenge is our default response. Um, it's what we tend to go to, but forgiveness is the place that we need to get to. But, but here's what we do. We live in a world of bitterness. And so when we haven't forgiven anybody or forgiven that person where that bad blood is, we get to this place and we just live in anger. We live in bitterness. And revenge sounds good and we think it feels good. But in the end, revenge actually kills. Unforgiveness actually kills us. And I don't mean this metaphorically. I mean this physically. Some research has been done on this particular topic about chronic anger and chronic bitterness, which usually comes from bad blood in relationships. And let me just kind of share some of this with you. At Duke University, research has found that chronic anger is so damaging to the body that it ranks with or even exceeds cigarette smoking, obesity, and a high-fat diet as a powerful risk factor for early death. Unforgiveness kills. University of Michigan followed a group of women for 18 years testing long-term bitterness. Women who suppressed their anger were three times more likely to have died during the study than those who did not have any kind of bitterness. Unforgiveness kills. University of North Carolina Chapel Hill studied male graduates of the med school for 25 years. Physicians with hidden hostilities died at a rate six times greater than those with a more forgiving attitude. Unforgiveness kills. And when we hold on to anger, we hold on to bitterness. This is what it does. When we don't forgive, it literally kills us. Because that becomes the thing that we are captured by. We are imprisoned by that bitterness and that anger. And so unforgiveness kills. Now here's what we think, right? We think we're over here and I've got all this anger and I've got all this bitterness and I'm seeking this revenge and I'm plotting and I'm planning and maybe you're putting up diagrams. I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing all this stuff because this person over here has hurt you. And so what we think is I'm not going to forgive them. And so our thought is this person's experiencing the exact same thing, right? They're living in the same tension. They have the same bitterness. They have the same anger. It's killing them. Do you know what this person's doing? They're at the beach. And they're watching the waves and they're drinking pina coladas. They're great. They're wonderful. They're happy because you're so angry, right? They're happy because you're so bitter. And yet we're over here thinking, ah, oh, man, they're experiencing the same thing. And as I'm killing myself slowly in this way, they're feeling the same pressure and the same bitterness. They're not. They're not. They're in control. And they know it. At that point, they control that relationship. And you and I... We're over here literally dying because we don't know how to forgive. Unforgiveness keeps us captive. It keeps us hostage. It keeps us imprisoned. As a statement says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking is going to kill the other person. But the reality is it's killing us. Unforgiveness kills. Truth number two. Truth number three. Forgiveness is an action. Forgiveness is an action. I find it so interesting that this is what Paul writes in verse 20. 
He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul's like, don't conform to the world. Don't respond like the world. Don't seek revenge. Paul's like, do something different. Be different. Be weird. In fact, here's an idea for you. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're cold, give them a blanket. You act differently. You do something differently. And so forgiveness, forgiveness is that thing that we can do that is so different than the world around us. But forgiveness takes actions. There's a couple of things here, three things here that I think we have in your notes today that I would say this is what these actions look like. Here's the first one. Relinquish the right to revenge. We relinquish the right to revenge. When we say we're going to forgive, that doesn't mean if I have a bad day that I can go seek that revenge. But if I have a good day, I'm not going to worry about it. No, it means we get to this place. We just say, hey, I'm done. I'm not going to seek revenge on this person. And man, they hurt me. And I'm still struggling with that. And there's still that pain there. But I'm not going to seek revenge on that. And so one action that we can take is relinquish that right to revenge. The second thing is to understand that peace comes from giving up hope for a better past. This is where we get stuck. You want to talk about being captured? You want to talk about being stuck somewhere and bitter and anger? When we have experienced some of the things that we've experienced in the relationships we've had where this bad blood has been present, we're stuck in the past. We're stuck there, and it still keeps us captive every single day. And I know some of you are here this morning, you're thinking, but Chad, you didn't experience what I experienced. You don't know what I went through. You, you don't know what it was like growing up in this home. You, you don't know what it was like with her as a mom and him as a dad or what it's like with my kids or what it's like with that, that friend. You, you don't know. You have no clue what it's like. You didn't experience those things or hear those words. And you know what? You're exactly right. I didn't. That's your experience. That's where, what you have experienced from, from your past. What I can tell you on a day like today is, man, I feel your pain. I, I'm empathetic toward what you have been through, and I wish, I wish that that had not been what you had experienced. But I would also say, I know that God has something better for you. And, and I know it's hard, but it's not to be stuck in the past. And hoping, and hoping that that past will just, just kind of magically change. It doesn't. It's always going to be there. You're always going to know it. But the question is, are we willing to do what it takes to move into the present and, and even more than that, to move into the future? To do that, we've got to understand that real peace, real peace comes by giving up that hope for a better past in our lives. And then the third thing is finally letting go and letting God. And maybe some of you have heard that before. Letting go and letting God. We've got to let go of the past we got to let go of those experiences. we got to let go of, of the harm and hurt that's come our way and then let God deal with it. That's what Paul's talking about. Let God take care of revenge. Let God avenge whatever pain and hurt there is in your family. Paul says, own it. Have empathy. Don't conform to the world. And I think in the end, forgive. Forgive those that have harmed you. Paul finishes up here in verse 21 in this way. He says, do not be overcome by evil. Um, this idea of don't 
Don't let the bad blood that someone does to you or these things that evil someone's done to you, don't, don't let it capture you. Don't let it hold you prisoner. But he said, overcome evil with good. And that means that we forgive those who have wronged us and finally be set free. Philip Yancey, again, talks about forgiveness. And here's what he says. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Um, I got permission to share this this morning. I'll try to, I'll try to make my way through it. Um, my wonderful wife, Kara, um, grew up here in, in this, this area. She, uh, her dad and family moved here from Ohio back in the 80s. He took a job with a, a local organization company and, and actually became a, a pretty well-known commercial real estate guy here in the D.C. area. Uh, moved from kind of the bottom of the rung of the company ladder all the way to vice president. And it was doing very well. Family was doing very well. They, back in the day, used to move different places. So they lived in Orange Hunt, and then they lived in Newington Forest, and um, then they ended up living over in Cross Point, over in, in Lorton, and um, that's where she spent most of her grown-up years. But um, on the outside, everything looked wonderful. Uh, everything looked incredible. Uh, they had money. Uh, they had a nice home, had nice cars. Um, they'd go to church almost every single Sunday. When you see them out in public, they were always smiling. For 15 of 18, 18 years, uh, her dad abused her. Any way you can think imaginable. And um, as her husband, a few years after she moved out of the house, knew something wasn't quite right, and we were still trying to figure it out, there's a whole thing that goes along with that disassociation and stuff, if you're familiar with that. And um, she experienced this, this, these moments of where uh, knew something had to change. And um, as these remembrances were coming up, as these stories were starting to come out, and she's talking about the abuse that had happened, and she's talking to me directly and thinking through that, I can tell you the only thing I wanted to do, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I wanted to kill her father. Okay? I'm just honest. That's what I wanted. That was the revenge that I wanted. Now, thankfully, I, I'm a Christian, and that was not the path that I took um, because of God. But just to watch your spouse deal with that hurt and with that pain, uh, it's hard. She had a support system behind her, which was great, me being a part of that, some other family, some close friends. We got her into counseling. And um, for about three, four years, every single week, she went to counseling to deal with this. <clears throat> Six years ago, I guess, uh, she finally wrote a letter to her dad. And in it, she said, um, I remember the past. I remember what happened. I know all the experiences. Um, I forgive you. I don't know if I could have done that. She said, I forgive you. Now, I wish I could say there was a storybook ending, and we have this incredible relationship with our dad. We don't, and we, because of me mostly, um, I said to protect our family, we're not going to have a relationship with him. We've tried, and um, there may not be peace in the relationship, but there's going to be peace about it, and we feel good about that. We feel good about the place we've, we've gotten to with that, but for her to write those words, I forgive you, those were the freeing words that she needed to write and to say, hey, I'm moving on. You kept me captured. You kept me imprisoned for so long, but I'm free. I'm free. 
Some of us in this room, maybe your story is similar. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you've been imprisoned because of that relationship. Maybe you're still there. Maybe you still struggle with that today. It doesn't go away quickly. It's not something that just tomorrow you just, man, I'm better. It takes time. It takes effort, especially if your relationship has a lot of bad blood and it goes many, many years deep. But that's what bad blood can do. But we're not called to conform to the world. We're not called to revenge as we want to do. We're called to forgive. And maybe that's the place we need to get to, of where we can finally say those words, that we can write them down and say, I forgive you. Your next steps today, I think there's three possibilities. The first one is our prayer team is going to be back in the back at the end of our service. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you've got a relationship that is so broken that you don't know what to do. Maybe you just need somebody to pray over you. You just need a word from God. And so we go to our communion time. We just want you to go to the back. We've got that spot open back there. Just go back there. Let them pray over you. For others, it's counseling. My wife and I did not make it through those three, four years of, of well, more than that, a time uh, without counseling. It's the only thing to do. It's not a weak thing, gentlemen. Counseling actually means you're very healthy. Not getting counseling means you're not very healthy. Um, get the counseling you need. We have a unique relationship with Safe Harbor. We love sending people there. Look, they're hiring more and more people because of our church sending more and more people to there. We love that. We love it. They love it, too, of course. <laughs> but you can contact us in our office, uh, office at thejourneynova.org, or Alyssa, E-L-I-S-S-A, at thejourneynova.org. Alyssa will connect you directly with Safe Harbor, and we'll get you all set up there. But maybe it's counseling. Here's the biggest thing you've got to forgive. And it's the hardest thing. As Yancey says it's unnatural. Sometimes it even hurts. But revenge, bitterness, anger, it will always keep you captive. Forgiveness, it'll finally set you free. This morning, we come to our time of communion. And I don't think there's anything that expresses what we're talking about more than, than communion. That, that when we think about communion, I mean, God sends Jesus to this earth. And God's like, hey, I'm going to see what this is like. And he sees what humanity is like. And he could have said, I'm going to get revenge on you. I'm going to destroy all this. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. But that's not what God did. God said, I'm going to forgive you. And my son Jesus, he's going to die on the cross for you. He's going to shed his blood for you. But he's going to come back to life. And that's why I love this time. You can talk to me about communion and maybe your experiences. I grew up where it was sort of the solemn time within the church service. For me, this is a celebration this isn't about our dire frowns on our faces. This is a celebration because here's what the deal is. God's like, I forgive you. You, you have put me to this place of where I need to, to show you the love that I have and I forgive you. You sinned up against me. You've done evil against me. I still love you every single time. I forgive you. And we celebrate that every single Sunday here at The Journey when we take communion. That's why we're going to sing this song, Because He Lives. I mean, it's an old school type song, but at the same time, it says, Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. And because Jesus lives, you and I, we can face tomorrow. We can face the bad blood in our relationships. And we can get to this place where we're not imprisoned anymore, but we've been set free.